verses 25 through 34. Now my text, the English Standard Version, which I use, has the word therefore at the beginning. Anybody else got a different translation that starts out differently? For this reason. For this reason. I don't care if it's for this reason or therefore. We have to begin by relating what those words mean to the teaching that has led up to the expression of those words that Jesus expressed. And I think Jesus is calling his students to individual thought before he calls them to do individual action. He is inviting us to look clearly and coolly at the alternatives before them and to weigh them very carefully. Remember I had asked the question Wednesday night, does Jesus help us to choose well? Does he point out the folly of the wrong way and the wisdom of choosing the right way. And once we have grasped with our mind the comparative durability of the two treasures that he revealed, corruptible or incorruptible, the usefulness of the two eye conditions, light or darkness, and the worth of two masters, whether God or wealth, basically then one is ready to make their choice. And when one has made the choice for the heavenly treasures, that is, the heavenly treasures, choosing to go with the light, choosing to live for God, what follows the therefore is how one must go on to behave in accordance with that choice. What does he say? Do not be anxious about your life, nor about your body, but seek first, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. I want you to see the word life and body and hold as your mind because I'm hoping it will get to show you the essence of, of what Jesus, I think, is saying there. And I think these ideas introduce us to the subject of ambition. I think Jesus knows that all of mankind are seekers. We need something to live for. Something to give meaning to our very existence. Something to seek something on which to set our hearts and our minds upon. And the ambition, once we look at the definition, here's the definition that I found. Ambition means eager desire to succeed, to achieve power, wealth, fame, and you can name one other things. To desire and to seek eagerly. Ambition concerns one's goals in life and the incentives there are for pursuing them. But ambition can also refer to good desires, such as seeking to be an unselfish person instead of being selfish, being godly rather than being worldly in our thoughts and our deeds. In a word, it is possible 
to be ambitious for God. And if you think about it, our ambitions is what makes us tick. It's what makes us tick. It's the mainspring of our actions. It's our secret inner motivation. And once again, I think Jesus simplifies the issue for us by reducing life's ambitions to just two. The ambition for material security or the ambition for God's rule and His righteousness. Anybody see anything else besides those two? I don't see any hands. <laughs> Three times in verses 25, verse 31, and 34, Jesus repeats a prohibition. He says what? Do not be anxious. You see how anxious and ambition kind of tie together there? How they're related to one another? And the prohibitions that he forbids is not to worry about certain things. And he specifically mentions food and drink and clothing. What is being emphasized is if one is engrossed in material comforts and wrapped up they are subsequently wrapped up in a false preoccupation. And it is implied, I think, that such pursuit is unproductive, it's unnecessary, and it's unworthy. Now, realize this. If our physical survival were to be the be-all, end-all, okay, it would be understandable that it would be a proper first concern for such things as food, drink, and clothing. Jesus is not denying the needs of the body. Yet for us today, how much advertising is directed toward our bodies? 90%. Like, like Planet Fitness. You see those commercials all the time. Absolutely. But I mean, you think about the cosmetology business and the clothing business, I mean, all, and food. <laughs> and, and health clubs. I mean, all those, advertising literally has its primary focus on, on our bodies. And, and I think it's interesting um, that, in it, like you said, it keeps saying, don't be anxious, do not worry, don't be anxious, don't worry about what's coming. The aim of all that advertising is to cause us to go, what I've got isn't good enough. I, uh, it could be better. What, um, you know, I'm not doing enough. I need more. I need more. And to turn us from being, I have enough. I'm, I'm content. I'm, you know, sated with what I have. I'm, I'm fine to having this attitude of constantly needing more and yet never being satisfied. Yep. And it's like, um, I'm, it's like sort of like a tapeworm of the soul. It doesn't matter how much you consume, you're just never getting enough. That's the essence, I think, of what Jesus is teaching here. And if, if, if all of us can see that, then I guess I'm being successful. And Sean's being successful in, in Sean. Jesus is successful in showing this. Jesus is not forbidding thought or forethought. He's forbidding anxious thought. And advertising is 
definitely pursuing that. So why is it forbidden? Well, Jesus replies by showing that obsessional worry of this kind is incompatible with what? Faith. It's incompatible with the Christian faith. See that all coursing through verses 25 through 30. But it also, I think, conflicts with common sense. And we see that kind of laid out for us there in verse 34. Remember I said those words, life and body? Life. <coughs> God is responsible for life. He's the creator of life. He has put before us the avenue to get what? Eternal life. Life is obviously more important than the food and the dream, the things that nourish the body. But similarly, our body is more important than the clothing that will cover it and keep it warm. And I think the logic here is inescapable. And Jesus enforces it with a question that he poses there in verse 27. What's the question? Can you have time to worrying about it? Yeah. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? I think it does the opposite. Huh? I, said, I think it does the opposite. Bingo! Because that's my next point. Indeed, far from lengthening one's life, worry and the stress that worry can bring upon us can be detrimental to life. It can be detrimental to our health. It can be detrimental to our relationships with others. Yeah. First of all, Jesus is not exempting us from earning a living. We have to work. I'm sorry to say that. We have to work. No, I don't. <laughs> we get to work. <laughs> and secondly, believers are not exempt. I hope we see this too. We are not exempt from the responsibility for another's basic needs. And thirdly, believers are not exempt from experiencing trouble. He does forbid his people to worry. To be free from worry is not the same as being free from trouble. There is no promise ever that I can see in God's Word that one is immune from misfortune. Things can occur in our life. In verse 34, I think it's significant that Jesus gives the why we are not to be anxious about tomorrow. Why? It's anxious for itself, and sufficient for the day is its own what? Trouble. I'm going to answer Donna's question. The word trouble there in the Greek is something else. We are looking at, therefore, you know, 
Takia. Yeah. And Takia. Badness. Huh? Badness. Madness. Bad. B-A-D. Badness. Evil. All of the things that can be considered bad. Yes. So when we see that word trouble in the Greek, the word that was used there was, what do you say? Kakaia? Kakia. 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 And it means basically badness. Evil. Okay, you want to pronounce it? <laughs> it's no. K-A-K-I-A or something yes, like is. that. The I is pronounced as an E and they're all short A's. Yeah. I think that gives a, a, a broader perspective of the idea of trouble. Evil is out there. And, and we're not immune from evil and what evil can bring upon us surely can bring on uh, trouble. So then is basically though it kind of goes along with the, the prayer, give us our daily bread. You know, mm -hmm. worry about what you're going to eat today. And I keep going back to, to, to Psalm 37, verse 25, 26. I was young, but now I am old, but I have never seen the righteous begging for bread. <laughs> I have that in my lesson material here. You know, I can't cross that. I said, that is so beautiful. It is, and it, it explains so much. It, it not only applies to, to the daily food, but it's everything that we receive each day. Handle, handle problems when they come up. Don't look forward to them. I have never since becoming a Christian and affiliated with the church, I've never felt that if hard times came, that I was going to starve to death. And here's why. Because of what we would do collectively to make sure that that wouldn't happen. I've always been amazed when we do have some kind of gathering together, that everybody brings what they can bring, small portion, but what is spread out before us makes you fat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Question. Yeah, a couple of things, and, and to that point specifically, I love it. I'm, so in the in the reading in Luke, um, I can't remember what chapter it is, but it's it's it will be given you, pressed down, shaken out, and running over. You know, and you think about if you're filling a jar, or if you're you know making bread or something, you know, just scooping up some flour and you scrape off the top, but then you push it down. There's so much more room in there. And what God's going to give us is so much more than what we expect. And and when we're talking about not worrying, um, I also heard the expression is to tell my students, take care of minutes and the hours will take care of themselves. Mm. And um, because I used to be a huge worrier, just perseverate over things for, I mean, hours and hours and hours, you know, sleepless nights and everything like that. And my father still does the same thing, and I'm still trying to talk him out of, don't worry about it, you know, just don't obsess over it, because even if what you worry about comes to pass, how much of your worrying actually does anything? Mm -hmm. It has zero effect, either towards or against the outcome. And in the reading in Luke, when it's talking about keep asking, seeking, and knocking, if a son asks for bread from any other father among you, will he give, you a, give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Yeah. I mean, you know, even the evil amongst us, they're going to take care of their own kids 
yeah. very well. So how much more is God going to take care of us? Yeah, and I personally think that example I gave, if times got hard, I'm not going to starve to death. We come together and contribute what we can contribute. We're going to be okay. Several of us been there. Yeah. Well, because I remember in college, you know, as a as a business major, you know, when I took the finance classes, you know, a teacher would preach, you know, you can't just worry. He would say, you can't just worry about where you're going to eat today, but he he talked about the future planning. You know, like I going to be able to eat ten years from now, you know, or pay your bills <coughs> ten years from now. Some, is there a fine line there? Well, there is a fine line there. I mean, there's nothing wrong with planning. Yeah. I mean, that's I think that's essential too. But realize, um, we have no guarantee what the future may hold. And everything you may have, you could find misfortune and, and, and lose it all. So it's okay to save up? Yes. Okay. Yes. I think this whole part is talking about dependence on God. Yes. Nothing else. Yes. I mean, we are dependent on him whether we want to realize it or not. But but I do think, though, there is an aspect that's being taught here that we have a responsibility Absolutely. to each other as well right. in this life. But then we again, that, that that is coming from God because yes. he, he allows us to gather together, correct? Yes. So that's still dependent on God. When you go back to chapter 5, verse 20, you know, except your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. Yes. And we, we look at what, what did the Pharisees grab for? What did the Sadducees grab for? What were the Essenes trying to do? You know, it's all, they had their own initiatives. They had their own desires. The Sadducees were merchants trying to rob the cheap and steal everybody in the world. The Pharisees, well, that's, yeah. but the point is, is they had their agenda, and their agenda was to look out for themselves and to do everything in plot to achieve their objectives. We're not supposed to do that. Yeah. We can plan, but what's the motivation? Yeah. Our planning is not only to take care of ourselves, but to take care of others. Yes. Yeah. That's that's it. And I think as God's children, we're not to worry. I think it's forbidden. You know, but worrying is a common problem. And I think and I think we need to even define what we mean by worry. <coughs> we need to define that. Do I need to be worried when a Christian falls away? Yes. Absolutely yes. I do. Yes. If I'm not, then I have a problem. I'm not being like the Apostle Paul. Paul said that he had he was very worried about the brethren in Corinth. There are things we do need to worry about, but this text is talking about worry that consumes you and renders you ineffective. That's what yes. this text is about. Yeah. And it needs to be connected back to where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It needs to be connected back to storing up treasures in heaven. This is all one big context the Lord is doing here. And the kind of worry that is forbidden is not worry about saving and saving for your financial future. Solomon said you need to be like the ant. The ant prepares for the future. And this is not worry, that's not saying it's wrong to worry about the church and brethren and, and the world we live in as far as it being evil. This is worry that consumes you to the point where all you do is lay in bed all day with the blinds closed. And you're not doing spiritual things. That's what the Lord is talking about here. Yes. And you kind of got into what I was, where I was going to turn right. the corner here. Because when things are not going well, okay, when things are not going well, it's easy for us to take our focus off of God and put it on the problem itself. 
And worrying is the opposite of faith. We already established that idea. And it's not compatible with it. In fact, if you think about it, all worry is about tomorrow. But all worry is experienced when? Today. Today. Anybody argue with that point? Whenever we are anxious, we are upset in the present about some event that may, may occur in the future. And most worries, perhaps most of them, probably don't even materialize. So then worry is a waste. If you put yourself, <laughs> close the blinds, whatever it is that Sean was doing, man, you are in a deep state there, bad state. That's a waste of time. It's a waste of thought. It's a waste of nervous energy that could be exerted somewhere else. I think Jesus is teaching us we need to learn to live one day at a time. I think when, when we do go through periods of time and trouble that do cause us to worry and have anxiety, which I have definitely done, it helps us to realize how dependent we should be on God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We want to do it ourselves. Yes. <clears throat> and, and that's a good lead into what I've got to share with you next. Mike? Just real quick. So, Paul writes in chapter 4, we use a lot of chapter 4 of Philippians, be anxious for nothing. That That is the physical part. Mm -hmm. Be anxious for nothing that is in this world. He goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ. Mm -hmm. That's where my focus is. Everything I need to do. Now we know Paul was hungry, we know Paul was shipwrecked, but Paul never lost his focus. Right. And it's and it's when the devil gets us to a point that we lose our focus, that's when we start to get in trouble. Yes. And anxieties and worries beat us up, especially And and, and I want to share this with you. When you find yourself in that state of worry, here's what we should do. We should go to God in prayer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and here's a suggestion I have of how you could pray for that. I'm worried right now because of, I know you may have a purpose for me going through this situation, although I don't understand it right now. Right. Help me to accept the situation Give me discernment in the decisions that I have to make regarding this situation. Further, help me to learn the lessons that you want me to learn from this situation so that I may apply it to my life and eventually to the use of your glory. Amen. Sharon? I think we can justify worry so often because we we redefine it as, well, I'm just being cautious, or I'm just trying to be prepared. But the worry that God is talking about is fear. And it, in a lot of ways, it, I don't want to say it's an irrational fear, but it's a somewhat irrational fear. And it's a fear that whatever the problem is, is more powerful than God, or we're allowing it in our minds to be more powerful than our faith in God. And the worldly definition of courage is, to, is not that you're not afraid, it's that either you're the only one who knows you're afraid, 
or doing something despite being afraid. And when we talk about the full armor of God, it's all of the armor, but there's no, there's no backplate, which means that we can't turn our back on evil, and we can't succumb to fear. And what it, I think it really is telling us is that we have to be courageous. We have to have courage, and that means that you have to, to a certain extent, really um, do battle within yourself and not allow your fear to be greater than your faith. But you know, another aspect of that is don't leave God out exactly. in this situation. Get Him involved, and a way that you can get God involved is what? Pray. Pray and be here. Huh? Yeah, fellowship. Sharing, maybe sharing what is wearing you out with some fellow Christian. Faith is not meant to be done alone. No, it's not. Hands are up everywhere. <laughs> Caitlin? Um, I was going to say, when you know, anxiety or fear or worry can be debilitating, I think prayer is crucial and we must be doing that, but I think also we can't forget that we have to take action as well. Yes. And I think seeking help from others and you know working to plan to like fight this anxiety or worry, I think are two crucial things that we should do as well because some people I feel like take it take it to the point where they're like I'm just gonna pray and that's it and I'm, I'm gonna expect it to get better yeah, right. and it's never gonna get better if all they do is just sit and pray I mean God calls us to pray and we must pray but we also have to take action ourselves to work against that as well and not just be idle letting this worry like sit in us yeah, yeah. And, 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 and wanting to share that with somebody else it's in the way of doing that is what I call that third element of all sin, the pride of life. We just can't break ourselves down to share that kind of intimacy with somebody else. I'm sorry. Um, to go along with what she's saying, I think it's important to point out that Jesus is not talking about clinical depression. No, and that's I've a known good point. so that's many people who they I think that we need to have a plan in place to where we are praying, we're reaching out to our brethren, and we're asking God, God let me know when it's time to get more help maybe medication or whatever we may need so he's not condemning that because sometimes people do get in that, dark that, that and that's a good point because there are people in this church and in every church who feel like they are in sin when they're battling something medical something more complicated that we're not qualified to talk about in this room so we need to be careful with that and another thing we were saying about going to people who they can help you I think that's great but we need to go to the right people because there's some people in the church who are constant warriors too. And if you go to them with problems, they're going to make you feel worse. <laughs> so go to, the, go to the Barnabases in the church, not the people who are worrying all the time and make big, big, big deals out of everything, maybe like you do or like I do. Yeah. Um, also to go off of Caitlin's, um, I know that for some people it's very hard to go to somebody even if they you know, to even have one person to go to, but it's also the rest of our responsibility to know our brethren and to realize when somebody is struggling and be willing to go to them and be like, hey, like, I know something's up and if you ever need to talk, like, you know, or something like that, let them know that you're there because most of the time, those people are not going to reach out unless they do have that person 
um, that they are comfortable with. But for the most part, those people don't, they're just like, well, then they'll look at me as a problem or being weak or something like that. So it's also our responsibility to know the brethren and yes. reach out to offer our support and help. If there's any one attribute that we probably need to gain from yeah. being like Christ is having his compassion. Yes. <laughs> Man, hands <laughs> <laughs> To Janelle's point, David does a great job of that. And several times he's come up to me and if I've been missing for a few weeks, whether it was from work or or um, sick or whatever, he, he does an amazing job coming up to me regularly and asking me how I am, but also asking, how's your soul? Yeah. And I appreciate that he's as frank as I am. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it, it doesn't work. Sometimes people are put off by that. But even phrasing it gently, how's your soul? How is your soul doing? What can we do? Yeah. And sometimes people, I'm, I'm a very uh, private person, and so it would take somebody asking me that frankly um, in order for me to open up. And we need to have... Even people we don't know, how is your soul doing this week? That's what we need to say. Yeah. A lot of times when we ask people, you get a, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that's, that's yeah, freaked freak out, insecure, that's neurotic, and whatever it is. They come in, we made a while ago. In Ephesians chapter 6, the, the armor of God, there's no back plates. Uh, there's there's a, a a saying someplace rather when when guys in the air force are going off to war, check six. Yes. And you're in the cockpit of a fighter, you've got rear view mirrors where you can do that. Sometimes. <laughs> Most of the time, you can't see back there, so you got a wingman that's watching out for you. When you're going into dark places and when you're going into danger, you want people around you, and we look out for each other. We check each other's back. When we are alone, and as a Christian, God is checking. Yeah. He's our protection back. Nothing can harm us because He's there. So whatever we are confronting in front, it may kill us. But He's still got us. You know, Jesus is probably dealing with worry about wealth and glory because that was what they were seeing in the Pharisees and the leadership at the time. And I want to move on here because I, I, I want to stress some things. Jesus used the example of Solomon here as an example of wealth and glory. Of all the people in the Bible, Solomon was known for his riches. And other than possibly Abraham in his time, Solomon is, in, in my mind, probably the most, most likely the richest person uh, mentioned in the Old Testament. And he ruled as king of Israel at the height of its power, and it had tremendous national wealth. Yet Solomon, despite all of that, came, I think, to the same conclusion that Jesus is presenting to us here in this teaching when he said, All has been heard. Fear God. Keep His commands, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. I want you to consider this. Are we not sitting here today clothed in greater splendor than Solomon? Yes. 
Are we not being fed with life-sustaining guidance through His Word? What a great idea. Adorned in spiritual clothing and being fed spiritual food. Come back to those two key words that Jesus used early on. Life and body. There's a spiritual element I think there that I think we can't, cannot miss. We cannot miss. In verse 33, there's the word but in my English Standard Version. Anybody got a different word? Now the word but is like a therefore. And I remember Ken Leach teaching us about the word therefore. Do you remember what he always said, Dave? Stop and look what it's there for. Yeah, stop and look what it's there for. And let me tell you, another key word when you're studying God's Word is that word but. There's a lot of them throughout the Word. So we need to see the reason for the word but because it's a connector to a new thought or something new that's going to be presented. And what's the but here? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I think that's a promise, that if we seek God first in our lives, He will take care of all of our needs. But realize that not all, that the word all does not refer to our every desire, right? and our every wish, Jesus is not saying, and I'm prayer paraphrasing this, seek me first in the morning every day and I'll drop a Mercedes in your garage tomorrow. <laughs> he doesn't say that. The topic is our needs. Our needs. And Jesus uses the example of food and clothing. And if we make God a priority in our life and keep our focus on Him, we can receive a promise that will never starve and will never go without clothing. And I think that's where this comes into play. This church and our brothers and our sisters in Christ. I, would, I just wanted to list one example. It says this is some examples where Satan used worry to cripple servants of God. And, and I look at Elijah. He was absolutely amazing how he went up against the, the idolatrous people and, and, and that contest. And yet, because he feared Jezebel, he had a worry there. So that comforts me to know that somebody who already knew how powerful God was. Yes. Even he had worries and anxieties. Yes. But then God also spoke to him quietly and assured him that he was there. And pulled him out of that mood of worry. And what did God do for him? That's a good did God give him a pity party? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Put him to work. We've got just a few minutes left. I want to share again what Don brought up. <laughs> in that 37th Psalm, verse 25. He said, I was young, and now I am old. Yet, 
He's saying, yet, in that lifetime, between being young and old, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. What a beautiful thought, because I think there's, there's gold in that. You know, the ungodly will focus on material necessities. Things God knows that we need. But the Christian's focus and concern needs to be with God's name, His kingdom, and His will. And I was hoping I will do that. We're going to go to Luke chapter 10. My wonderful wife pointed this out to me. And I said, that's a good thought. Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 40. And this is something we should have been reading every day last, not this past week, but the week before. He said, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Well, she was a worry one. <laughs> But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. That's Matthew 6.33. Oh, man. <laughs> that, that is, that's rich. Ultimately, there are only two possible ambitions for human beings. We can either be ambitious for ourselves, or we can be ambitious for God. There's no third alternative. Desires and ambitions for self will concentrate on my comfort, my wealth, my status, my power, my position in life. But desires and ambitions for God can never be modest. Once we are clear that God is King, we become anxious for the expansion of His kingdom and that His righteousness will prevail. Christians should be eager to develop their gifts, widen their opportunities, extend their influence, to give them promotion for their work, and through everything they do, what should we do? Glorify God. Hmm? Glorify God. Bring glory to God. Glorify God. <coughs> Mike? So we've talked about a few men in the Bible, and one thing... We talked about the breastplate and back in the six. It's an interesting concept to me when the devil goes and talks to God about Job. And Job says you put a hedge around him. Not in front of him, not behind him, not on top of him. You are all you are encompassing him because of his righteousness and God says, Go test the Lord. Yeah, I am, all around him. Job was allowed him to be all around. I agree. But you know, the first line of defense with the armor of God is what? The shield. The shield of faith. faith. And even though your back's not, you can turn it around and you can get that faith right in front where it needs to offer that first line of defense. Yeah. Great class. Now, this is the last I'm teaching this class, but I hope you have been and are still being enriched in this study because it is so rich. Yeah, I think it, Jesus used 
this teaching, these teachings, I think, over and over and over again before every audience that he went to, and he went before many audiences. And so I hope we can see the richness and the need for knowing and understanding.